Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Pray, come along with us as we talk about one of the new big releases from the Nintendo Direct that happened last week. We recorded it. So just to recap, we recorded an episode last Sunday. It came out on Wednesday. I think it was the 9th. And then immediately, like a couple hours later, there was a Nintendo Direct in which they announced a bunch of things that we were excited about and a bunch of things that we didn't even know we needed to be excited about and a couple of things that we actively accidentally predicted. Uh, so we released two episodes that day. If you haven't listened to both, you could go back and listen to both. If you listen to one but not the other, there's another one that's there. Uh, I know when multiple episodes get released in a podcast feed, sometimes one buries the other, et cetera, et cetera. So just a heads up there. But one of the big things that I think you and I were most excited about from that Nintendo Direct as evidenced by the episode we recorded immediately afterwards is they decided to release a new demo for project triangle strategy which is now just triangle strategy uh, it's a game that comes out next month march right march first week third. Of march. yeah and it is a different demo in that the first demo was specifically like a test run was like hey here's some ideas we have it's like a pretty pretty complete vertical slice like art and all like it wasn't like they were going to not make the game if people didn't like it you know like it was very <laughs> clearly like hey the game's almost done but we just want to make sure like these systems work out see if people have feedback and people gave feedback and then they responded to the feedback and it was very it was a very open dialogue like surprisingly yeah and uh now this demo is very much like the other square enix demos that exist out in the world and on the switch which is like you get to play like around 10 hours of the game and then when the game comes out or if you buy the full release your save data from the demo just carries right over that's the thing they've been doing a lot which i really appreciate that's like that's in the uh tokyo rpg factory stuff uh it's in dragon quest 11 uh i think dragon quest builders 2 that's just like a square enix staple at this point which i think is amazing it's a really good system yeah Yeah. because i think people are always like bring back the demo and i feel like that is the best version of bring back the demo it's like not only did they bring back the demo they actually improved on what demos were from the era that people have nostalgia for in terms of demonstrations of video games yeah So it's pretty tight. And you and I have played a whole bunch of the Project Triangle strategy demo. I finished it. Yeah, you finished it. (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to bury the lead. Steven's done with it already. (laughs) I'm still like processing your casual use of the Victorian prey. Like you gave a lot of information (laughs) to me and the listener, but I'm I'm like shocked and impressed at just the the casual prey. Steven, they use the word prey to start sentences in this game so often. It is oh yeah. It's like deeply. Yeah. burned into my fucking cortex now pray and mayhap are like <laughs> this game's like ob- oblivion is to well met what project <laughs> yes. triangle strategy is to mayhap and pray and pray yeah yeah which obviously we love yeah so you and i played like you said there's the original demo that not only was like a test run but it was also like here's what to expect kind of like in the middle latter half of the game yeah which was also i think a really smart idea it's like here's like what the game's gonna feel like when everyone is like leveled up and you have a lot of tools and yep. it was really impressive the game itself is largely a i would say it's a spiritual revival of final fantasy tactics yeah it plays almost identically if you've played ff tactics or, or tactics advance specifically the latter i would say because the game very clearly communicates like the most important thing in any battle is unit placement and like verticality mm-hmm. so yeah. you know we'll get more into systems later but that's largely what the game is so the crux of it is like those types of tactics battles every character plays uniquely 
which are, that's like one of the things I really love about this game is like every single character is a unique class that has a very specific role. Yeah. That is also somehow easy to understand, even if you don't really play a lot of these games. At least I would think like mm-hmm. I do. So it's a little bit hard for me to gauge like what's beginner friendly. But I do think like the concepts are like, OK, this character freezes shit. This character has a bow and arrow. Like, it's not like, you know, the weight of a silver axe is like, you don't have to think about weight and stuff. You can just do what is promised. It it marries a lot of the stuff that worked about Final Fantasy tactics. I would say you're right to focus in on advance, although I didn't play the PSP one. Uh, but I but I want to. But anyway, it, it marries a lot of what worked about Final Fantasy Tactics with a lot of what is currently working in Fire Emblem, which is great to me. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like you're getting like the weapon triangle stuff as well in a certain sense. Um, you also triangles. have the uh, triangles. You also have the elemental weaknesses. Um, I, I think it works really, really, really well. Um, I, I think the thing about Fire Emblem that I really appreciate coming over here is like the very deep conversations between characters, like the the heavy emphasis on story and specifically your relationships with characters, I think is yes. carried over from Fire Emblem in a really smart way and uh, kind of makes good on one of our biggest issues with Octopath Traveler. So honestly, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. I feel like just to loop back, our very first episode of the podcast that we ever released was about Octopath Traveler. It was like, I think the first game where you and I played it, we were like, this is actually all we want to talk about this week, because just to be candid, you and I had been recording a bunch of test episodes. That was the first one where when we were done recording and like editing, it was like, oh, yeah, that that is episode one. Like, that's a good first episode. This is what we want to do with this podcast, like going forward, um, which has served us very well. But I think that Octopath Traveler episode very much was like. There's so much to love about this game. It's just that the writing isn't strong enough to carry us through it. Like the battle system was great. But, you know, when you get 10 to 15 hours in and the writing isn't very good, there's only so much a good battle system can really do for you. Like even like the art and the battle system together weren't enough to carry us through because they didn't come together. Yeah, they had these eight characters. That was the whole conceit of the game where there are eight characters. You can play as any of them. They all have their own stories and they all team up together in a party system. But they don't talk and they don't have like relationships or anything really. They do, but like 20 hours in and it's in these weird yes. spotlight support scenes. Yeah, where like they look like off Broadway, like almost one man <laughs> show budget level conversations. I did enjoy the discovery of like who the characters were in the very beginning was fun enough to yeah. carry me through. But again, even with that, there was some jarring tonal differences. Like I started with Primrose, who was on this like mm-hmm. very disturbing quest for revenge. And then the next character I got was Tressa, who is like Kiki and yeah. Kiki's delivery service. I'm like, when did they team up? And like <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. I love it, but like it's very bizarre. It's it's really bizarre. I think that that's an interesting game in that I think it came out and a lot of people were a little bit cool on it, kind of like we were. And I've noticed over the years, people have been going back to it and saying, like, actually, like this game should be reexamined. This game might be great. And I've, yeah. I've been really considering going back to it ever since. I redownloaded it on my Switch the other day. Yeah, I put in 40 hours to that game and it was yeah. in my top 10 for 2018. So I, I I put in what is normally a full RPG, and then I realized I was halfway through, and I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the thing is, like, the battle system is like maybe one of the best like modern executions of classic turn-based combat. Like the I way agree. that system is an amalgamation of like the Final Fantasy V job system, the uh, bravely default like manipulating turn order, like, and it's it has a lot of great quality of life features too, and the way it kind of slowly unravels with the ability to like you get every character and you see what their class is 
and then the ability to multi-class and like mm-hmm. experimenting that way like, that is all really great so like if you're someone who can just like ignore the story you'll probably have a great time but that that being said the story is a lot of it the game was made yes. kind of like half and half where it's like the selling point was like this kind of golden age era RPG story that just didn't really deliver in any way. Totally. But anyway, Project Triangle, I think, really benefits from the the narrative focus of it, where like the game is also divided into three sections. Triangles. Uh, there's the exploration phase where you're like walking around town. You might find like a merchant. In that phase, you're largely just talking to people. And actually, when you talk to certain characters, you you will sort of almost Phoenix Wright style like learn information that you can use later in dialogue options. So there's the exploration phase. Similar to that, there are moments where like there are really big decisions that the player has to make. But what's really fascinating is that you can't make them directly. Everyone has to vote. Everyone in your party has to vote on the scales of conviction. And whatever choice wins, you have to go with that. But you can influence people's votes you're like a lobbyist essentially for your own party um (laughs) you can talk to people and try to convince them and the information you got from the exploration phase can potentially help sway them i think this is a really brilliant system and i like it so far i'm a little worried about how easy it's gonna be like the first big decision isn't really like a super intense one so like the even like when you talk to characters who are undecided it will say like they'll listen to reason and they're not really like super set either way Mm -hmm. and i found that all the dialogue i used that i unlocked from the exploration phase that was like the key to victory except in one case so i hope it's not just like by talking to everyone you'll always win the election you know like i hope that it's a little bit more nuanced than that but the way they explain that system when it first pops up is you have to go and talk to each of your individual party members right to kind of like if if you want to sway them if you know that they're going to vote one way and you want them to vote the other i guess just to be clear the first vote i don't think this is a spoiler it's just you're getting on a boat and you're deciding which place the boat is going to go like that's it and everybody just kind of has like some like fun reasons why they want to go visit one place or the other like one of them is like more tropical than the other one so some people want to like go hang out like in the sand but anyway people are like deciding one way or the other and you can go have conversations that are like actually i'm more interested in this place and they'll be like oh yeah i'm more interested in that too so like there's a warrior on your team in particular who's like i've heard that the warriors in x place are extremely formidable i want to go spar against them and then you can be like well because you learned this in an earlier exploration phase well i learned that this other place has really like maybe the most powerful mages on the planet you can fight against like hand-to-hand combat warriors any day of the week why don't you go fight against the strongest mages in the world and see if you can build up your defenses in that way and she's like oh shit great fucking idea obviously sways her vote some people are I, I would say um, a little less open to your swaying them back and forth. But that's where the other bit comes in that they explained in this tutorial section, which is essentially like the decisions you're making, like you as Saranoa, who is the player character in this case, your decisions as Saranoa are actually changing his convictions as well. So there's a hidden meter behind the scenes that like you're not really able to fully grasp. But as you're making decisions, you're changing how confident he is in his own oh, convictions. Gotcha. So dep- so if you're like, for example, a person who is, uh, you know, very headstrong and like kind of like a warrior and very much like uh, charging into battle, if you're trying to convince somebody in the scales of conviction phase by saying like we should all hang back people are gonna be like i don't believe you that's like the exact opposite of how you usually act you're clearly just doing this for ulterior motives and they might not believe you and then they'll vote the other way so the other decisions that you're making in dialogue trees also influence that outside of just the conversations that's you're having brilliant. in that moment i really love that yeah because it's you're talking, really cool th- there are three uh triangles there are three 
like moral systems, or I guess like kind of like Paragon, Renegade, and Mass Effect. Yeah. There's utility, liberty, and morality. And conveniently, there are also three kingdoms that seem to embody those ideals as well. So yeah. like Saranoa. Okay. Also, just to say, I think this game is really fucking good. Uh, we haven't like oh, even yeah. said like, our opinion <laughs> really about talking. it. Yeah. Which is probably clear already. We just dove so deep into the fucking system. Yeah, the game's great. I went in, <laughs> like even from the from the early demo, I was pretty confident that like Octopath, at the very least, we're going to have a really engaging battle system. Yeah. But I wasn't really sold on the story and the mel- like the the original demo was like very melodramatic in a way that was like almost off putting and we also don't know who anyone is i'm like i don't care like whatever but this time around i wouldn't say the story is like groundbreaking in any way but it's very confident in what it's trying to cover and it's embodying a nice blend between like kind of campy very like gamey in a way but also actually tackling interesting ideas the thing i would really recommend is that I don't want to get into like a subs or dubs argument, but I found that the Japanese voice cast is is like matching the writing more accurately. Like it's a more grounded performance. I feel like the English voice cast is like kind of all over the place in terms of the direction. Honestly, I, to me, it even just comes down to the casting in general, yeah. like some some characters in the Japanese because I've switched back and forth a little bit because I, I usually for the first like hour or two of every game, I'll switch back and forth on and off just to see like, OK, which one actually feels better. I'll, I'll also get into why I almost went with the English voice cast at a certain point. But anyway, the reason I landed on the on the Japanese voice cast specifically was like certain characters, like the more regal characters and specifically the player character. I just think the casting is better, like the tone of voice, I yes, think, just matches totally those agree. characters significantly better in the Japanese voice cast. The reason I almost went with the English voice cast at a certain point. So just to back up, when the first demo for this game came out, I was doing a show on YouTube every day where I was like just talking about video game news and there was a Nintendo Direct and the Project Triangle Strategy demo was released, the first one. And I was like, I'm going to do the episode of the show, talk about the Nintendo Direct news while playing Project Triangle Strategy. And within about three minutes, I completely forgot to talk about news. And I just sat there on stream and played Project Triangle Strategy, the demo for like an hour and a half and like missed my first meeting of the day because I was so, (laughs) so engaged in that game. I was immediately like this is one of my most anticipated titles of next year i'm so excited for this it just really blew me away i think that focus on combat was really smart because it really pulled me in i was like great i'm gonna get this again and there was like some story stuff and i was like honestly i don't you know it feels a little bit octopathy again i don't know if the story is as strong i think you're totally on the money that like we just saw the middle of the game we didn't know who any of the characters are you start this game you start this demo specifically and it's like great we're starting from the top you're starting from like you know the prologue not even chapter one, you're introduced to all these characters. And like the writing is honestly great. As you were saying, like, yeah, I, I think they're not like breaking any new ground in terms of like, you know, fantasy medieval combat story. You know, it feels almost very Fire Emblem in that sense. But all of the character writing is really strong. I, I think the actual like tension between the three nations is really strong. I was yes. really impressed by it where I think this game falls flat for me right at the top. And like, I think it's going to get a lot better, at least based on what I've already seen is I would say the first like two to maybe even like two and a half hours is just like so much story and so much dialogue. And to be clear, it's good, 
but I can't sit there for two and a half hours and just read text. I like that's been, I think, my biggest hurdle to get over with this game. And then as soon as you get over that, as soon as you get to chapter three specifically, the game totally takes off. Like there are two combat battles in the first two hours of the game. Yeah, I was really worried. I'm like, is, is that going to be it for this demo? Like just yeah. two. And one of them is like a scrimmage. So right. it's like, OK, so it's like all dialogue and then like a 15 minute maybe battle in between all of that dialogue for about two hours. And I was like, this is very worrying. And then as soon as you hit chapter three, it's like, OK, things are starting to pop off a little bit. You also have the ability to go to this thing called the encampment, which is where you like level up items and do all this other stuff. But they also have the ability to do like training battles. So I was like, great, just fucking put me in the training battle camp for like another hour and I will just like do all the battles that I wish I had done for the first two hours of this game. And I did that and I leveled up all my people and it was great. I had a really good time. But I think that's the one weakest thing about the beginning of this game. And I think that that's going to turn a lot of people off. I think there are a bunch of people like you and I are obviously going to be very effusive about this. Like I really, really urge people to push past those two hours, which to be clear, again, are good from a writing perspective. It's just there's too much of it. Yeah, Um, it really does balance out at a certain point. It's just like that first two hours is a lot to ask of people i think the ratio between battles and story gets much more even later on yes because there's also a point where like every like beat of the chapter you see this really lovely world map and you can choose on the world map like okay this red mission advances the main story this green mission is a little vignette of like what's happening in, in roland's kingdom which like right. truthfully i don't care i just want to go into a battle <laughs> um <laughs> but you know there's like side stories happening and then from the earliest demo it seems like there are also going to be like missions where you may recruit a character and the characters that join your team are also influenced by Sarah Noah's convictions so like if you're more leaning towards one conviction or not you'll get different characters which I think is really brilliant I think that if that continues to pay off that's like a one of the most interesting like role-playing systems I've seen like in, in a kind of mathematical way but yeah I mean I think like the story at the very least is it's very intriguing the characters are fun I love the artwork for the characters like everyone has like a classic like you know Final Fantasy sprite look Mm-hmm. But if you look at like the menus, like all the characters have these really beautifully illustrated portraits. And like even it, it's very similar to Fire Emblem, like Awakening or the older ones. You get like a scene where they're introduced and that's like kind of your blueprint for what they're like. Other than maybe in the scales of conviction where you have to convince them. Yeah. But a lot of it is like filling in the blanks. There is no permadeath, which is cool. And one system that I really love that I think is like something I'd like to see uh, in other games is that. There, there are multiple ways to win a battle and the game is like, oh, if you like attack from behind, you're automatically going to get a critical hit, which will trigger follow up attacks from all the adjacent allies, which is always so fun to pull off. Yeah, totally. Verticality does more damage you know, whatever, but like you can kind of brute force your way through the battle if you want. But if you do pull off those like very stylish attacks, you get like kind of in-game achievement currencies where like Mm -hmm. if you, um, there's a character who like does a big like kind of radius of fire damage and if you like light up a bunch of enemies at once you'll get like you know okay you hit all these enemies with a single attack or like you got this backstab or whatever which will just sort of happen organically it's not something you have to like worry about at all but like yeah if you're if you're fully taking advantage of like the available strategies and and tactics you will get rewarded this currency that 
back at the camp, you can trade for like rare items and also upgrade the classes. And like, I've already seen like what all the characters' sprites look like when they're upgraded. It's so fucking cool. Like, yeah. the sense of progression is very exciting and also very clear. That's still an area of Fire Emblem that needs a lot of work. It's like very, it's like hard to grasp like when to promote a unit or why without going on some like Excel spreadsheet on Reddit. Like, yeah. it's in this game, it's like you very clearly see like, okay, if I upgrade these weapons, this will have happen if i upgrade the class they're just going to become better i I appreciate that it's just to i I guess make that clear the the thing that's really strong about this game in particular versus something like fire emblem in terms of like a a class promotion standpoint is in fire emblem you can reclass people pretty much like on a whim like you could you could change people's class like constantly and sometimes that works better for some people than others like fire emblem three houses specifically like there are a lot of dialogue options that are supposed to like nudge you in the right direction like maybe this person would be better as an archer instead of as it you know like things like that but a lot i think a lot of people won't really know to do that unless they played other farm games or they're googling it as you're saying what yeah. triangle strategy does which i think is brilliant is that every character because they all play so differently they all just have that class that's just their thing you're not reclassing them really you're just leveling them up using these they're called kudos points using the yes. kudos points that you can use to buy the upgrade material that you need for them to specifically class up and rank up so they just get better at the thing that they're doing where the actual customization lies is in the weapons which again unlike fire emblem you're not like getting a new weapon for a character you're just making the weapon they have better and in different ways that more suits your play style in particular so you just have like a very classic upgrade tree for each person's weapon and you can just kind of decide what you want them to do obviously there are like resources and it costs money and things like that so you're gonna have to like go out and try and find that stuff but at the end of the day i think you're right i think the progression system is like really really streamlined when i first saw it i was like this is very daunting i don't know how i'm gonna engage with this and then as soon as i like started messing around with the menu i was like oh wait this is fucking brilliant this is yeah. so so easy i just to not have to say like okay sarano is a swords person but maybe he'd be better if he was on horseback like i don't want to have to think about that ever like i just <laughs> i love this like oh cool i have the one thing i need for sarano to be a better swordsman great to be clear i do love the chaotic freedom you have in fire emblem to like make bernadetta a brawler or something but like yeah, yeah. you know it, it is daunting to feel like you're like always making the wrong decision when you don't really have any metric to know if that's the case or not. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just like, they're really setting you up to succeed. And you also get a lot of characters. So I think it's important that they keep it simple because like the customization comes down to like, like in even in the this demo, you'll eventually have up to like eight characters and you can only deploy six usually. Mm-hmm. So you're already thinking about like, okay, who do I leave behind? Like, do I need like a tank? Do I want like a mage instead? Do I want a healer? And they're all like, they start out pretty familiar. Like the first, like Sarno is like a classic swordsman, but his first special attack can delay the enemy's turn. Yeah. So they're already planting a seed of like, that's the kind of stuff you should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. His like retainer can buff other people. There's a healer, there's a mage. But from what I know with the first demo, there's also like, there's a healer that specifically uses items better. Like the items she uses are stronger and she yes. can like use them on other people. So also when you start to rank up the classes, their latent abilities get like much more interesting. Like what one of the first, um, one of the first people you get in your party in even the demo is this uh thief named anna yes who like her later abilities <laughs> i know from the demo are like absolutely wild already when you first get her she has the ability to attack twice which one is of the, fucked up yeah. yes one of them is a ranged attack where she throws a bottle of poison at somebody just poisons them immediately and the other one is a close-up like knife attack so you can just like go behind somebody and then stab them in the back twice with a knife if you want to or
or you could like throw poison at one person, stab somebody else. She is like immediately really wildly good. Yes. And then later in the game, and I know this from the first demo, she also has the ability to just like throw a smoke bomb at her feet and just be invisible. So, yeah. so like not only can you throw her behind enemy lines and then attack twice, but you can end your turn by being like, Poof, and now you can't attack me. <laughs> Anna is unbelievable, even before she gets that ability. Yes. Because again, like you automatically crit if you attack behind someone. So you can just like surround an enemy with your allies. And it doesn't like, like she's kind of a glass cannon. So like you've got to be careful mm-hmm. of where you put her, but she's very good. And the fact that like there are characters like her that are just so fun and thrilling to play as, yeah. it creates like a very unique sense of identity with, with all your units. Yeah, I, I am really, I, I really am like fully confident in this game. I think like you know there's potential for the narrative to maybe go off the rails but the combat is strong enough that like it almost doesn't matter like i do think that the other elements are good from what we've seen and i think like the demo is long enough that like i'm pretty confident in what's being explored i think without spoiling too much the interesting idea is like saranoa is this like heir to a very like stark-esque royal family yeah where their kingdom is like kind of old-fashioned but they're all like good-hearted warriors that judge others by their deeds yeah so you know we're going to be judged by our deeds, all right? <laughs> the other two kingdoms, one is like gloomy, Game of Thrones, clearly evil, Black Eagles energy that has mm-hmm. a strong, they have a chokehold on the iron supply. So they're like in the mountains, they have all the iron, they're very militaristic. And their their society, based on like the, the gala we had where I was chatting up the leaders in the 1%, that kingdom represents the liberty side of conviction. So their whole thing is like, no one is born into any royalty. It's all about like... Like, you know, rising, rising up in society. So it's yeah. like, okay, this is going to be like an Ayn Rand nightmare, like for sure. <laughs> uh, and then the other kingdom is like, here, everyone is equal, but some people are more equal than others. And it's like, right. okay, so I see what's <laughs> happening here. Uh, yeah. But it is still like, it, it's very interesting to have like <laughs> these immediate societal critiques and like to show like where the convictions can go wrong, you know? Yes. Like, I guess you can't really go wrong with morality, but the fact that the kingdom is like maybe a little bit out of touch or a little bit naive, like there's a character you meet very early on who like, essentially the plot begins with all three kingdoms are like finally trying to achieve peace but there's like a lot of tension in the air and the game does tension very well yeah um, i agree uh even when like it, when when there's an uh, ellipsis over someone's head you hear like doo, 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 every time yeah like that's that's a little much but i do like it i like it a lot i think it's great there's a character who like kind of has your back i think he's from the snowy kingdom but he's like related to these evil twins that are like so cartoonishly evil that are like oh this wine is filth i can't wait for another war to happen but but the guy who's your friend he's like clearly in in the right side of things he's got a good worldview but he like drinks way too much he lets his emotions get the better of him so it's like I'm already seeing like, okay, this is a guy that I want to side with, but like his behavior might actually ruin our reputation. Right. So there's already things like that being set up that I think are really clever. Yeah. I I find myself in in Saranoa's shoes, at least like spending a lot of time trying to decide between like just being as like just being a peacekeeper or like specifically trying to forge alliances you know like th- those yeah. two things are often at odds I find in, in the dialogue options that they're making you choose between and I'm very very interested to see how they play out because as you're saying like right now at least where I'm at in, in the demo all three nations are like you know on this kind of tentative peace level but it's very clear that it's like a powder keg it's like very yeah. clear that this is like very tumultuous like yes 
they're getting close to peace, but it could really dissolve at any moment. And it's really not going to take a whole lot for that to happen. So I'm very, very interested to see when that happens. Do you see it in the demo? Does it happen? No. Uh, I mean, the only like it seems like the first big decision, which you said is like where to go first. It feels at least the characters in that moment are like, this is kind of a loaded decision because like whoever we go to first, it might be like easier to like cozy up to that side. Yes. But even still, I mean, all I've done is like learned how fucked up that place is. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the place I went to is the um, the desert kingdom that says everyone is equal and they have a monopoly on all the salts in the continent Mm -hmm. but they're also like a theocracy and there's like a goddess they they often will say like oh true believers are all equal you know and it's like okay like who are you leaving out in this equation kind Mm -hmm. of thing right so it's interesting to see like i'm getting a glimpse at like what the state of the world is but like i don't feel confident that like because of my trip i'm like buds with the salt theocracy Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. also there's a group of people in that faction called the saintly seven and i keep reading it as salty seven and i'm so pissed it's not the salty seven But uh, if nothing else, the game is very intriguing and it's creating these discussions. And like the only kind of thing that annoys me sometimes is I feel like often I will come to conclusions faster than Sarah Noah does, where I like I've already kind of made up my mind. And Sarah Noah is like, we should go there. I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, no, like it's not like glaring, but it does. It has already happened twice. Overall, though, I do think the role playing and like the moments where you get to choose dialogue are usually well placed. But like every now and then I feel like I could like Sarah Noah could have noticed this a little faster mm-hmm. i i think even just the fact that like that's the the major gripe you have having played 10 hours of it means that this is far and away better on a writing level than octopath was. oh yeah it's in another solar system it's, like, i'm it's, really yeah. really glad <laughs> to see that they invested so heavily in that because it's really really paying off yeah i'm i'm very very happy i mean like i said this was one of my most anticipated games of the year and uh, already it's great um, I, I feel very strongly that as long as it like keeps this pace, like it is for me, at least going to be like game of the year contender, like one of the best RPGs on the switch. Like it has a lot going for it at the moment. It would take, it would take a pretty heavy turn in the wrong direction. I think to knock it off of that pedestal. My one thing about this game that kind of bums me out. Um, and this is just like by comparison. So we didn't even mention this, but this is in the same engine, the same art style as Octopath Traveler. So it has what they're calling, I think what the 2d 3d engine or the HD 2d engine or something like that. Yeah. Uh, HD um, 2.5 maybe. I don't yeah. Know. Who knows? Who knows what they're calling it? Yeah, something something silly. Um, They're using that engine, which is now being used in a bunch of other things. As we mentioned, Live Alive is going to uh, have that, which looks great. Dragon Quest 3 is getting a remake in that engine as well, which is also gorgeous. The thing about this game that kind of bums me out a little bit is I I just think the color palette is a little too muted. Like it's a little too desaturated. It looks a little bit muddier than I wanted to. And that was actually why I redownloaded Octopath was so I could look at them side by side. Octopath is like much more vibrant, especially, you know, the places that need to be vibrant, like Tress's area and and the forests uh, that you make your way through, like the very high fantasy forests. Like they're all really gorgeous. And then you look at the trailer for something like the Dragon Quest 3 remake, and that is like stunning in your face, vibrant. Like they're really trying to make it the most like fairy tale kind of vibe possible and it really really works in that game and this is like definitely going a little bit too much in the game of thrones direction i would say although all the art is really beautiful and the environments are like really well realized i just think the color palette kind of like makes it a little bit hard to look at for long periods of time like i don't want to hang out in the world for really extended periods of time outside of a couple like really key moments like there's a fight that happens uh on a pier that is like stunning like really beautiful yeah you know i i I definitely agree i 
I think it's I think it will depend on like how the other maps are. I will say yeah. that the Salt Desert Kingdom is is nice to look at, so mm. you might enjoy visiting there. That I, that actually might be why I went because I'm like I don't need another gloomy fortress. Like I'll go to the Salt Hell and totally. hang out there. Oh, um, we didn't even talk about the music. The music is amazing. Oh yeah, really bold choice. <laughs> it's also it's very bossa nova. Like, yeah, I, it's it's like I have I think ten hours uh, in the demo, but I would say four of those were like I left the game on while I like cleaned the house and <laughs> made dinner because it was just so nice. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I would say like depending on how fast you go through the game, there's like anywhere between like four to eight hours here, depending on if you do like the optional battles or the mm. cutscenes or not yeah but uh yeah it's the first three chapters and what's cool too is you can see like there's a flow chart of like the progression of the story so you can directly see like it's really where was there a fork in the road what decisions did i not take so you know i don't i don't know how long the game is going to be but i imagine like a new game plus is probably a thing where you can go back and do the other choices we'll see yeah that's kind of my big question is like are they really expecting me to play through this whole game again like i am making <coughs> saves for all those different choices but i i'm a little bit iffy on like okay if this game is like 40 or 50 hours i don't know if i'm going to go back and do the whole thing again yeah that's true i mean i guess like i i'm less concerned about that and more i, I think they are more invested in the like ability to choose versus like you have to see all of them to understand the story. Yeah, that's um, that's my that's kind of my fear. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm hoping they veer away from that and, and it is more a just complete holistic thing. It is interesting, though, that they have that timeline. But I mean, if I like it, I don't I won't care. I've put in 400 hours of three houses at this point. So if I, if I like it on the same level I'll for a specific it. kind of person and I'm talking to him. Um, <laughs> That timeline is very, I mean, it's just because I'm playing it simultaneously, but that timeline is very reminiscent of Radiant Historia, but oh, you know, because Radiant Historia yeah. has like a Chrono Trigger thing going on, it allows you to go back to those points and make different decisions and see how they play out. And I would be very interested if this game eventually had some kind of fun time travel twist, but I would imagine that would be in all the marketing <laughs> if that were true. Um, yeah, that might be but, a bit jumping the shark. Hey, uh, Triangle Strategy is fucking good. Uh, maybe even great. And I'm excited to find out if it's great. I'm on the same page one thing i'll add too is that speaking of fire emblem there is divine pulse there eventually is a mechanic where they say it's like you're simulating a move where you can like see yes. what would happen if you took a move before committing to it which is like i think every tactics game should have that you it's know awesome because yeah. it's it's just the best yeah it's so fun because octopath traveler had uh the visible turn order and you know a lot of like messing around with the term order uh, the turn order along with their um th the way they kind of pull in the um the persona and smt like figuring out the weaknesses of enemies and things like that yeah. like a lot of that combat system was so so brilliant just to like pick and choose all the best shit that's happened in terms based combat since then and i feel like this is doing the same thing for uh like tactics and and, and uh unit placement and stuff it's really smart it's really really smart yeah this team has proven they are like masters at refining the past in mechanical ways yeah and i think this game has the potential of like also having a narrative that complements that totally um so very excited yeah they made it work designers would you describe yourself as liberty utility or morality I want to say morality, but it might be utility. What about you? Uh, I would probably say... It's definitely not liberty. <laughs> I would probably say morality. But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Bye-bye, <laughs> dear listener. Pray you come back and listen to more. Mayhap! <laughs> Is that the listener? <laughs> no, that was me. I don't know who that was. Get out of here. Shoo! 
Brendan. Uh, Steven. Quick announcement. So we are partially responsible for using kind of forbidden arcane magic to summon Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers in Portal 1 and 2 on Switch. <laughs> and I was playing around with my alchemical laboratory and, and I was like, can I possibly summon Wind Waker into existence as well? More, more than that, I just wanted to stream it because it's been a long time since I played it. So because of my sick, my favorite invention... My ability to stream from older systems, my AV to HDMI adapter, they're really cheap. Highly recommend it if you want to do the same thing. I was able to stream Wind Waker from my Wii, which was very bizarre. Uh, and I did that. And it was my first time playing Wind Waker in a very long time. I've been very vocal about how much I love Wind Waker. It's my probably my favorite Zelda. And I think you and I will like talk more meaningfully about it at some point. I think it's like pretty much every Zelda game, but specifically Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, I think are like ones very important to both of us that we want to give like a proper episode at some point in time. Yeah. But I thought I'd bring it up because I just was really, it was nice to revisit a game that I have such a fond memory of and be like, just sort of like reaffirming my love for it even within the first two hours mm -hmm. i will say i think wind waker really does still stand apart from the rest of the zeldas mostly in a good way i mean it has the unique graphics but i think it also just has such a unique energy and i would say one of the better intros as well like it has one of the best like opening hours of a zelda game other than maybe skyward sword which i think has a really strong opening as well narratively at least but yeah. this one just like really you, you were watching the stream i was curious because have you have you played it or have you only like heard of it or watched it? I have played, I would say, one to two hours of it on GameCube. And then they did the HD re-release on Wii U. And I was the owner of the Wii U. So I ended up picking that up and played, I would say, like three or four hours. And that's as far as I've ever gotten Wind Waker. It's like my like top 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 of the list of shame backlog like <laughs> gotta do it eventually which is yeah. why i want so badly for it to be on switch eventually because like it, it just feels like a shoe in for a bonus and and as you're saying like specifically me finishing wind waker and you going back and revisiting twilight princess would be like you and i doing each other a favor essentially yeah so that feels like that feels like a given um and we've talked about that in the past but like just i guess to go through the whole list the nintendo switch was made with the help of nvidia nvidia has their nvidia a shield which is a little tiny like android tv console that they made a while ago and because of this partnership ended up porting a lot of games from the wii u and the switch over to the nvidia shield for release in china specifically where they got the okay to release the nvidia shield before the switch so they were like okay that's how it, nintendo is going to break into china from a software perspective um this console generation but twilight princess hd and wind waker hd both made it onto that nvidia shield so they had ported it to a system that is very 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 similar to the switch so ever since then this was like years ago this was like maybe even 2017 2018 like right when the switch came out this news broke so i feel like ever since then it's been like come on like the work is done when is this thing going to come out and it just feels like a shoe in but at the same time i feel like we're not allowed to speak our desires into the aether directly i feel like that's the rule yeah 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 we can't just say like i want this yeah you know? like the q consortium and tng <laughs> like they have specific rules for omnipotent beings you know uh-huh that's so. true they do. Do you want to shove me into a locker or what? <laughs> uh, shove us both. If you're going to shove somebody, it's got to be both of us. We'll both fit. Um, Here's my lunch money. So I would very much like that to happen. Um, 
but sorry to, to finish answering your question. Uh, yes, I played a little bit of it. I've never finished it. Um, I love the opening. I love the, the art style. I think it's really wonderful. And one day I'll get there. Yeah, I just it's really I mean, I think it's kind of overlooked. Again, it's weird to say about a Nintendo game because it's not like even the most overlooked first party game is still like one of the best selling games of all time. But I do kind of feel like a desire to like lift it up because I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. I mean, I think it set the foundation for a lot of Zelda games that followed in that it really changed the combat a lot for one like the ability to parry and like that whole system that like Twilight Princess just straight up copied for the betterment of the game. Like they just took that system and ran with it. And Breath of the Wild even, I think it definitely follows up on it in a more meaningful way. But like that kind of modern style of combat, like really started with Wind Waker with kind of no precedent. Like the 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 combat in, like you don't even really think about combat in Zelda. It's sort of there as like a thing you have to do. But Wind Waker was the first game to kind of make that like a more engaging system. It also was the first one that allowed you to like knock enemies' weapons out of their hands and like pick mm-hmm. them up and use them so like that was also i think an idea that wasn't really followed up on until breath of the wild but the reason i love it so much is mostly i mean i love the music and i love the atmosphere i love the sailing that's all amazing but i think it also has one of the richer narratives in zelda history because it's the first game that really reflects on i said this a lot during the stream but it's the first game that i think created an interest in what we now know as the zelda timeline which like is kind of silly because again a lot of it is retconned like there's no way a lot of it was like planned ahead of time but for certain every game after ocarina it seems like there was more thought put into like when did this happen are these games connected in some way Mm -hmm. like majora's mask is a direct follow-up to ocarina And I think it works as that because it's like sort of a reflection of that game in many ways and sort of like a like a nightmare of that game. (laughs) And then Wind Waker is kind of this, you know, distant future Zelda that has like the story of Ocarina has become like mythology in Wind Waker. Yeah. And you can read that as very literally like, okay, like that link existed. Now the pressure is on this link to like live up to that. But I find it also kind of meta in a way of like, what is the future of this series? You know, how do you follow these games? And a lot of the story of Wind Waker is about characters who don't want to fill the role that like society is demanding they do out of ritual and fighting for a new future for themselves. And it's also, I think, the most like this is the closest Link ever gets to speaking because of how how many emotions are conveyed through the animations of his face. Like, like even in the first hour, like the game begins with your grandma handing you like a Link cosplay outfit and Link like embarrassed to have to put this on on his birthday. Like he's like, it's my birthday. Yeah. It's like, why do I have to wear this? And everyone's like, what are you wearing? Shouldn't I do what I want for my birthday, (laughs) grandma? She's like, dress up like Link. And everyone's like making fun of him. Like, no, I have this cool lobster shirt, actually, yeah. that I'd much rather wear. And I won't spoil who the other characters are, but like everyone is kind of having that. And the way you learn about the world, it's it's this very harmonious mix of like very bright and colorful atmosphere, but an extremely sad story. I, I think doing this show and talking about media with you and, and games in particular, I feel like I'm always very impressed and like find a lot of inspiration from games that can balance tone. And I really admire that like, you know, Majora's Mask is a very cool game and it's like purposely moody and that works for the story it's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. But I'm almost more impressed by Wind Waker to be this like almost Pixar-esque animation that tackles like similarly heavy things, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and I, I, I really, 
admire it. I think it gets critiqued for there's a part near the end where you have to do this like awful fetch quest for Tingle, which is so funny that that's like a part of the game. <laughs> but other than that, it's like close to perfect. Yeah. I really, really love it. That also it. got fixed in the HD remake, which I imagine if yeah. this came to Switch, that is the version that would make its way over there. So yeah, yeah. I, I so feel pretty really strongly that about. eventually uh, that critique will be gone. I, I, I think Wind Waker, kind of like Octopath in a sense, like over the years has definitely gained a larger uh more favorable audience over time but you know back in the day when it was first announced it was like this looks like a cartoon i want big strong cool I'm guy cool link. where's the street sharks i want to see yeah. re- realistic because i play call of duty now i want link to have a gun and be like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i read nintendo power there were listeners asking for stuff like that but I mean, I think it's really it's really interesting to think about this connects to Chrono Cross for me, and I'm not going to talk about Chrono Cross again. Don't worry. But in the terms of like sequels in beloved series or like sequels to beloved games, like I think that usually the sequels that take the most chances are the ones that people remember more fondly. Like when mm. Ocarina came out, everyone just wanted like an up like everyone just wanted Ocarina too. They just wanted like a follow up to that game in that style. And Majora's Mask and Wind Waker, while they were really well received like there was a part of the fan base mostly like i think younger kids like around my age when those games came out that were like this one and more of the same and we're like almost off put by the changes but again time has proven like more people talk about those games than the ones that tried to more emulate ocarina i think yeah yeah you're totally right so it's great i i'm really excited to play more of it i might stream more of it i'm not entirely sure but regardless like i'm glad that i have a way to play and share it and i'm very excited for the hopefully inevitable switch port yeah if that gets released on switch i will probably either stream or record my whole playthrough like i did with Link's awakening because I, I i feel like that'd be a fun experience to share finally getting through that game yeah that's available on youtube by the way uh your your stream of wind waker and if you do it again it'll also be there so you can go check that out yeah currently it's the first like 90 minutes so it's it's like the the opening chapter basically yeah. Also on YouTube, a little, little plug, but we're doing uh, a bonus episode this month, uh, February 2022, about Portal and Portal 2, as mentioned. And I just decided kind of on a whim to uh, record my playthroughs of both of them because I, I like the idea of sharing the prep that we do for bonus episodes. So I just like sat down and played through Portal 1 this week, uh, recorded it. It ended up only being two sessions, which was kind of wild. Yeah, it's a short game. I, I think a lot of it came down to like I remembered some of the solves you know like when you get yourself in some of those test chambers it's like oh yeah i think there's like something involving this and then you kind of poke around like yes that is exactly how you do this etc etc until you finish the game in about two hours but uh, i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna do the developer commentary also i don't know if i'll record that as well i feel like that's just gonna be a very like me sitting in front of my uh tv with like a big bowl of rice kind of thing with like an egg on it and just like playing through. I think that's going to be very fun. But I will record uh, my playthrough of Portal 2, which I have not played since it first came out. And I'm very, very, very excited about that. Yeah, me too. I, I don't think I ever finished it. I'm very oh, excited shit. about that one. Oh, God. Yeah. That, that game is so good. I just remember how much I love that game. And I'm really hoping that I feel that way again. Uh, <laughs> I will say just from playing through Portal 1 again. I mean, that game is like unbelievable. Yeah, it's an unbelievable it's video game. So very excited for that bonus episode. I think it's going to be too. really fun. Very similar to... Uh, 
I guess weirdly our 13 Sentinels bonus in that like we're just seeding it for when people eventually play it because 13 Sentinels comes to Switch in April. Yes. And Portal is coming to or Portal and Portal 2 are coming to Switch sometime this year. No date given, but very excited about that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to plug that I've been playing, I think I can talk about this. There was nothing that said that I couldn't, but uh, Dicey Dungeons, which is a game that you and I really loved, I think from two years ago. It was the very end of 2020, but we played it in like early 2021. Yeah, that game, which is pretty widely available uh, on most platforms, um, notably was not playable on iOS or Android and is making its way over there. And right now the developers are doing like a public test of it. So if you have iOS and you have test flight, you can just I think as long as there's space is still available you can just go test that game and on android i think there's no space limit so if you have an android phone you can just go try it but i've been playing the ios version of dicey dungeons a lot this week like a lot a lot fully back into that game honestly i think using the touchscreen which i think was available on the switch i think we mentioned that when we first talked about it but having that game on my phone in my pocket at all times is like perfect it is an absolutely perfect experience. I will probably never play it anywhere else except for on my phone. I just want to make that very clear that Dicey Dungeons is coming to mobile. I've been playing it. It fucking rules. Definitely yeah. check it out when that drops. Also, maybe one of the best soundtracks like in existence. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that game is just like a super group of a bunch of really incredible artists. So just very happy to have that game on my phone. Um, and when it comes out uh, in a full release, I will very happily purchase it a third time because i think i have it on switch i have it on xbox and i will then have it on my phone but yeah dicey dungeons mobile some good shit i love when there are games that we love enough to buy multiple times yes i think what what are the ones for you that you've done that if you don't mind sharing binding of isaac is a big one yeah i have purchased it on literally every platform it's available for what else rogue legacy is a similar one i play through that game once every time (laughs) it comes out on a new thing i think rogue legacy 2 is coming out this year like officially which i'm very excited about i really hope that makes its way to any console this year i know it's like going to come out of beta and like be in 1.0 probably on pc only still but i I really hope that like in the process of getting to 1.0 they're also working on other platforms i'm not really sure but i'm very excited for rogue legacy 2 whenever that happens and what else i don't know there's probably more those are the two big ones that come to mind though yeah i think an obvious one for me is skyrim (laughs) yeah that's true i have skyrim on everything including vr yeah (laughs) yeah and i'll buy like the the deluxe version too like what are you doing like i did the uh, same thing (laughs) and then celeste celeste i have I originally got on PS4 and then I got it on Switch. And then there was the limited edition physical release that came with like an instruction booklet and stuff. And I got that because I had to. I think those are the two for me, Celeste and Skyrim. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those are just some games we've been playing. You, you played some Wind Waker. I, I played Portal and Dicey Dungeons. Um, and I'm going to start playing Portal 2 soon. I'm excited for that bonus episode because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Exciting to think about like the bonus ideas we already have planned for the future months and then like what's also just coming out this year. Yeah, it's going to be a wild year. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I think I, I was just talking to people in the discord about this yesterday. Uh, we have a discord. You can find the link at into the cast online. But anyway, I was talking to people in the discord, like literally right before I fell asleep last night. I just like posted it, like dropping a bomb in there. I was like, do you really think that Breath of the Wild 2 is going to come out this year? Because honestly, like looking, <laughs> looking at this, everyone slate, is typing yes (laughs) (laughs) looking at the slate of nintendo stuff just nintendo stuff for 2022 i mean like they kind of don't need it my two thoughts are they kind of don't need it because the year is so stacked already that like yeah i don't i don't know if it would actually be necessary like they could just drop wind waker and twilight princess instead and be like yeah Breath of the Wild 2, it's going to come out Q1 2023. And I think everybody would mostly be fine with that because they spent way too much money on Nintendo shit this year. Alternatively, I could see this being a situation where like 
And this is the most into like industry fucking speculation I'll get. But I could see this being a situation where Nintendo is telling investors and telling the public that the Switch is like maybe halfway through its life cycle, maybe a little bit past halfway, but like still has a lot of legs. And I'm wondering if their method of proving that is going to be we're just going to release all of the best software we possibly can in one year just to prove to investors that like, yeah, so now we have this wild install base of people with Nintendo Switches and they all bought every game we released. So there's your money. You know, like, I feel like that could be the situation this year. Yeah. Just like literally put your money where your mouth is, like prove that the Switch has these kinds of legs. Um, Because I, I would say like even in some of the ports we're starting to see, like taking things like Klonoa, for example, which is like real fucking deep cut like PS2 thing. Taking that and putting that on Switch is like a real kind of Hail Mary, like maybe someone will buy this. But there are so many people with a Switch that like a lot of people will probably buy it. But it also kind of feels like they're really digging their hand deep into the bag of stuff they can port to Switch at this point. Radical dreamers. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it, <laughs> it's some really left field kind of shit that we're starting to get. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's just due to like the technical limitations of the Switch, but also the install base is so big that people are like, well, we got to keep supporting this. Like the, the amount of support that Square by themselves have given to the Switch from go, like from the top, but even yeah. now. Is like really, really, really shocking. I just I just feel like this year being like kind of overwhelming from a Nintendo software perspective, like might be on purpose. And that might be why Breath of the Wild is used to like close out Q4 as like just a way to like push those numbers past what you could even speculate. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also last year was like kind of noticeably lighter on Nintendo's end. Like there wasn't really like I can't like other than what there was the the Pokemon remakes and Metroid Dread was the big one. But like financially, like that game did well, but Metroid is also kind of like a very niche thing compared to other Nintendo IPs. Yeah. So I think that this year might be like a version of of what you just said, but also just like overflow from what maybe would have supposed to come out last year kind of thing. Right. There's also the pandemic of it all, which definitely yeah. uh, is, is worth noting. But I mean, yeah, just just based on what's happening now, like the fact that like Splatoon is like a halfway through the year event, that's a big deal. Yeah, we're getting I mean, you know, triangle strategy is a big deal for us, but that's like in March. There's the new Xenoblade, which is a big deal for a lot of people. Or Xenoblade Car- Chronicles. Which I'm getting more and more curious about. You kind of sold me on on the third one when we recorded Dave and Buster's. Because like, yeah, as soon as I saw the title, I was like, I don't really know. But like, I'm very interested in checking out a new series that I know nothing about. That's like usually very fun. Yeah. My main concern about that one is that it's supposed to be a blending of one and two. Like it's like literally characters oh, from one and two meeting, which means that I might. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I'll be interested to read reviews, but I'm a little bit worried that I will need to have too much context about two to enjoy three in a sense. I see. Gotcha. Um, but I am very much enjoying my playthrough of one still. Definitive yeah, Edition on Switch is great. I do want to check that out one day. But yeah, even the first half of the year is like stacked. So we'll see. I mean, I think I honestly I would be probably equally happy if Breath of the Wild 2 was was the end of the year or early next year and we got Wind Waker and Twilight Princess instead. Like I'm actually like equally happy with either of those. Yeah. I, I think I think both are are great options. Um, and yeah. just to be clear, that's only Nintendo that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Elden Ring comes out in two weeks. Microsoft and Sony also have like really stacked years. Starfield. Uh, Microsoft, we, we know a little bit less about except for Starfield. Exactly. And then Sony, we actually know a lot more about. There's a lot of like big Sony stuff happening. It seems like they're really kind of ramping up in terms of uh, delivering stuff to the PS5, including I think next week is 
Horizon Forbidden West, which is like their first big release of the year. Um, yeah. So, I mean, 2022, I, th- I, you can already tell as long as the stuff is good, you can tell 2022 is going to be like one of those really like fucking tentpole. Holy shit. Years like 2017 was and 2011 and 2007. Um, I would argue 2020 was also that year. The, I mean, dep- like the list of games that came out that year and like what we ended up making in our list. It was a pretty stacked year. Yeah. That was Animal Crossing, FF7 Remake, 13 Sentinels, oh Persona 5 Royal. God. Demon Souls, Hades, Kentucky Red Zero, <laughs> Last of Us Part 2, <laughs> Ghost of Tsushima, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Blaseball, I Can Feel yeah. Spirit Fair. Oh my Ori. God. Clubhouse Games. That was a really wild year. Fall Guys. Wow. And Hades. Yeah. Really wild. Okay. Well, that's all the stuff we've been playing. We're going to take a break <laughs> and then come back and talk about even more stuff we've been playing. Morality, utility, liberty. Mayhap you'll return. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Pray. 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 (laughs) Welcome back. Uh, So (laughs) you and I have been playing a game uh, that I'm I'm very surprised is available on the Macintosh operating system. Just to be clear. Uh, it's it's a game that's an early access on Steam that I've been hearing rumblings about, but I eventually just went on Steam to see if it was available on Mac, and it was no surprise, so I decided to play it, and I played it for like maybe 15 minutes and then made you also buy it. But it's called Vampire Survivors. It's been kind of like making the rounds as like a kind of surprising game that came out of nowhere. Uh, it launched like right at the end of last year. So I'm considering this a 2022 game. It's still early access uh, at gotcha. the moment. It's, gotcha. it's just to like headline three bucks yeah. for the game we're about to talk about and be very effusive about at least i'm going to be effusive about it. i don't know about you but so vampire survivors if you haven't heard about it already indie game either one person or a small team i think it might be one person it's a game that is very inspired very much visually by castlevania uh from what i learned on the most recent episode of uh the waypoint podcast apparently uh the creator had just like bought a castlevania inspired art asset pack like a decade ago and just was like well i never used it for anything so i thought why not for this thing uh and that's where the art came from which i think is hilarious <laughs> they have definitely definitely made enough money where they could like go a totally different direction art style wise if they wanted to because personally i don't think that the castlevania inspired look i would say it even goes past being inspired by like it just feels like just almost like a Castlevania ripoff in some senses from an art direction standpoint uh, because it's this asset pack. But anyway, I don't think that that art direction is the reason this game is good. It's a run-based roguelike where the whole idea is you are a Castlevania-looking dude with a whip uh, and you kind of make your way around this big open plane and just hordes of enemies come at you. Uh, so it's kind of a bullet hell in that way where you're obviously trying to not die. The enemies aren't like shooting bullets at you, but they are trying to close in on you. If they touch you, they will hurt you. Uh, but you have the ability to attack back using this whole arsenal of weapons. The thing that immediately struck me about this game the thing that i I think immediately clicked and just made this like the perfect thing for me is that you don't need to worry about attacking at all you only need to worry about movement and that by itself i think is just so so smart and so much better than a lot of bullet hells like games like binding of isaac for example i love binding of isaac it's one of my favorite games of all time but that game gets very intense towards like some of the later stages even some of the earlier stages if you haven't played it before because it's a twin stick shooter so you're spending a lot of time trying to move with the left stick and then shoot with the right stick or the face buttons depending on how you want to play but 
just even like the act of needing to do both of those while also being cognizant of what's happening on screen, it can be a lot for people. So for this game, ratcheting of the enemies to like, there are a hundred enemies on screen or there are a thousand enemies on screen or more. It's really wonderful to not have to worry about actually attacking. The way that your character attacks is based on timers. So for the, the whip character, who's the first character you play as, the whip just goes every like second, just about. Pretty much on the second, every second, your character is going to whip in the direction that you're facing. So you just need to make sure you're facing the correct direction. Just like games like uh, Binding of Isaac or Hades, for example, eventually, as you beat enough enemies, you get experience for all those uh, enemies that you're killing and you have to pick up the experience like little orbs, which, you know, kind of has a risk reward of like, do I go yeah, deep into yeah. the horde of enemies to pick up all this experience so I can level up? When you level up, you get to choose from a selection of different upgrades and they might be an upgrade for your whip. For example, the first upgrade you get allows you to whip forwards and backwards at the same time. So you don't have to really worry as much about which way you're facing because you're going to attack in both directions every second and that's great and then future upgrades will be like cool now we're increasing the radius of your whip or it's going to happen more frequently so it's not going to be every second now it'll be like you know every eighth of a second other upgrades will be completely different weapons like garlic for example which will create this like area of effect where if anything gets near you it'll start to damage the enemies um and there are like put a pin in garlic i have a lot to say about the garlic yeah we'll put a pin in garlic there are different spells so like you know one spell will be like oh yeah it'll just like go and attack the closest enemy to you other ones are like it'll attack a random enemy but it does more damage uh and as you continue to do these runs you'll unlock more and more weapons which is very binding of isaac you'll get more weapons that will be available sometimes in upgrades and future runs and that's kind of the crux of it the the main way to beat the game is to survive for 30 minutes which i also really appreciate as like Okay, so the the maximum amount of time a run can ever take is 30 minutes. So you really know if you're going to be able to squeeze one in or not. It's like, do I have 30 minutes in case this run goes well? And if you don't, then maybe don't do a run. But at the moment, none of my runs have gone over 13 minutes. I've, I've made it to 13. That's the furthest I've gotten. And uh, I've been having a great time with it. I've just been talking a lot. How do you feel about Vampire Survivors so far? I think it's great. It's definitely one of those games where you pick it up to play for 15 minutes and then an hour has passed. Mm -hmm. But uh, I really I think, again, the sense of progression that you were saying, I think that's the key to a good roguelike, honestly. And it's also the selling point here. I think that like. It's so funny because so many people would push back on you about that, but I totally agree. At least, at least for what I enjoy, that I know that's more of a rogue lights element, I guess, if you want to be like very technical about it. Yeah. But for me, the idea of like doing multiple runs, I like seeing the variety of 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 con- like learning from like okay, what combinations do I want? Do I want to like mm-hmm. focus? Like it's kind of like Hades, where it's like, do I want to really focus on like two boons from from the gods, or do I want to uh, just like have a sampler platter of abilities and like which weapon right. do I want to use? So like that will that will create a long term interest for me to like want to see all those different variations. And here, you know, the characters are, are mostly like, what do you start with having the whip and then also getting like the magic wand weapon that just like shoots a projectile at a nearby enemy there. There's the garlic, which like my best run by far. I just went all garlic. It was so <laughs> funny. I, I just yeah. imagine there's this like worried guy like running from like bats. just like chopping on garlic. Like, <laughs> just worried. Yeah. Smells like shit. So, and like even the radius around you is like, these like stinky lines. So I'm like, why is this the most efficient strategy? They're going to redo all the art and the main character is going to be Wario. Yeah. Nintendo's <laughs> going to buy this and be called Wario Survivors. Here I go. 
No, I missed. Uh, uh, it's a bad run. But yeah, I played as the character. I, I've unlocked three of them so far. So yeah. they start with a different weapon and they also like scale differently. So the one I really like is I think like a, I don't know exactly what his character is, but his ability is he can fire his projectiles get faster as he levels up. Yeah. All projectiles. So like the starter projectile, but also any that you end up picking up later, which is great. So I had and his starting weapon is like this uh like crystal ball that bounces around. So I had that and then I, I only really got like magic wands and garlic. Yeah. So I was just like shooting out all these magic balls and it's like it smells like, like this like stinky radius. It like one shot most enemies. Like most yeah. enemies Although I, I think there are some enemies that you just can't destroy, like the green zombies. Unless I'm like, I wasn't powerful enough. There are some that like seem like they... I think you're just not powerful enough. Oh, point taken. I do like the risk reward of getting the experience. I like the idea that it's all about just singular movement. So it's just WASD or the arrows. And the things that will happen, like you'll learn like early on, there's like a big swarm of bats that like... Yeah. If you get caught by that, you're kind of fucked. Unless you have upgraded garlic. If you have garlic and you upgraded garlic once, you just let the bats fly into you. You just absorb the bats oh, and all the experience they drop. It oh, rules. It feels so good to just let the bats come at you like that. <laughs> it's like, you smell something? Um, but uh, later... <laughs> The other event is that these sort of like little shop of horrors plants start circling around you. Yes. And there's usually like one area in the circle that you can pass through freely. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you, so like usually I, I like try to like find it early so I'm not like stressed because there's also a big praying mantis. It's like, hey. Yeah. So there, every once in a while there, there are enemies that will show up that will have like a blue outline around them. And if you beat them, they'll usually either drop like a shitload of experience, like usually enough for you to just level up immediately. Or alternatively, they'll drop a treasure chest, which will have either one or like a bunch of items in it, uh, which are like obviously wildly helpful. Uh, the praying mantis is also one of those enemies, even though it's not outlined, which I, I've noticed. Oh, really? Yeah, which is very helpful because I think there are things like that, like the the, the flowers circling in uh, the swarm of bats. Like they, I think that they're happening. I, I haven't like looked at the clock but i think they're happening like at specific time intervals because it's kind of smart that the game is like okay well it'll only take 30 minutes every single time like if you survive for 30 minutes and you win and i'm wondering if those events like the bats or the circling flowers and the praying mantis and stuff if they're happening on time intervals if they're happening on level intervals like should i just be leveling up as quickly as possible or is leveling up actually causing these things to happen faster i i imagine it's probably time based i would say time too based on how it's felt but but um, that is I, I have wondered, I'm like, am I actually better off being like kind of cautious about yeah. like how much I pick up right away? I do wonder, though, if there is some type of scale to experience. But it does feel like like if you haven't leveled up enough by like minute 10, like you're kind of screwed because the yes. enemies are harder to kill. There are some real like power checks that happen every once yeah. in a while. I think the bats are like the first one. They're like pretty light. Like I said, if you have the garlic and you've upgraded it once, like you're just good to go pretty much. Or if you have the garlic and you haven't upgraded it, what you can do is run in the same direction as the bats, and you'll also be fine. So oh, like, nice. they'll, they'll catch up to you because they're a little faster, but you will, if you're running in the same direction, be able to kill most of them anyway. One of the things I really like about this game as well is you have this like kind of 
uh, run currency, which is your experience that you're getting as things are dropping. But there's also this other currency, which are just golden coins that will uh, that you'll keep throughout your runs. So it kind of reminds me of like a rogue legacy yeah. in that sense, where you get to keep this currency in between runs and you can use that currency to spend on permanent upgrades, which I found to be like super, super helpful. I, I think there there can be a tendency, even rogue legacy, which is like one of my favorite games of all time, kind of runs into this every once in a while, where some of the upgrades are like so incremental that you don't even feel them. These ones are pretty sizable they're pretty noticeable pretty immediately i I would say uh for example the first one that i got because this just felt like the smartest thing to do was i spent all the coins that i had on the upgrade that gets you more coins in future runs yeah Um, same with me yeah so you know i'm just accumulating more coins than i would have so i can level up all my permanent boosts faster uh the second one i got though was the ability to absorb items at a further radius which also makes runs like significantly easier just because you don't have to wade as far into the enemy hordes to get all the experience that's being dropped. Um, so things like that are like wildly, wildly helpful. Um, so I feel like it kind of has this like best of both worlds kind of thing, which I think some of the best roguelikes do like a Hades or like a rogue legacy, where as long as you keep like bashing your head against it and keep just like dumping money into the permanent upgrades, like you will eventually be powerful enough to win the game. Like I think there's there's going to be an end point here where you'll just like feel like you've made it, you know? That's a great point. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that the runs were a half hour. I actually do like that kind of like yeah. cap on it too. Because there are some roguelikes that are kind of built to be forever, like Hades, where it's yes. like there's this almost endless cyclical narrative that's happening and like a world and characters you want to visit. But then there's also so many in-game challenges and speed runs you can give yourself that like create like a permanent interest. Here, I mean, I, I've only played it for a couple hours. I don't know if it would be that for me, but I love the like arcade score chase vibe of it. Yeah. And I think like it weirdly reminds me a little bit of Loop Hero in the sense that like you're kind of indirectly con- like you have direct control mm-hmm. over the movement, but a yeah, lot of the powers are all like pre-programmed. I do enjoy the silly like because I mean, you know. The Castlevania art pack is just like mummies, bats. It's like so. Yeah, it's really funny. And the music is so upbeat and fun. And like the treasure chest music is so exciting. Like it's not horror at all. Like the music is like having a great time. There's like yeah. a bunch of these mummies. Yeah. When, when you get a treasure chest, it looks so much like you just grinded for a week in a free to play game, like riddled with in-app purchases. Yes. It looks like I spent $20 at yes. some weird. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, the ones that you get really lucky on. Like sometimes you can get up to five items in those treasure chests. And when that happens, it's like, oh my God, I just spent $400 on an in-app purchase. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's really fun. It's so funny. Cause like, the reason I wanted to bring this game up and the reason I wanted you to play it was like, A, I just thought you would like it. But B, yeah, it's great. It's fun. I think this is like one of the most prime examples of a game that like should be in early access. Not that I think like games should and shouldn't be, but like this just feels like the most prime early access candidate where like, yeah, it's got like some temporary art with this art pack that somebody bought 10 years ago. The music is like weirdly discordant, but super fun. Like not all of it meshes together. But the core systems and the gameplay loop is so fucking strong that like there's not going to be a lot that needs to change between this and release, you know, like add some more items, obviously like that. That'll be a whole lift and stuff. But like even even as a non game developer, like you can see the path that this game needs to take to get to a 1.0 release uh, where eventually I think it'll go on to be like just kind of like one of the Hall of Famer roguelites in that sense. I think so too. I I think the one thing I'd like to see is like I never really understand if I should be exploring the map or not because like it reminds me a little bit of do you ever play Realm of the Mad God or the Mad King? I forgot what it was called. It was a free to play uh, like arcadey RPG from like over 10 years ago 
And it was sort of like an arcadey bullet hell where like every class like fired off beams differently. Mm. A different game, but it reminds me of like that kind of like arcade approach to like an RPG. But in that game, like exploring, you would find like different areas and caves and stuff. This game is not really going for that, but like I'll find like a graveyard and like wonder what's there. And it seems like other than like finding a treasure chest, there's not really a lot of utility from the environments. If anything, they will sometimes just trap you there. Like a swamp, you'll like move slower. Mm. My only real gripe, like I, I, I like the enemies. I think they're all fun and, and campy, but this sort of endless green of the map is like not great to look at. Like I, I don't really know what the fix is because like they want it to be kind of bland so that like you're not distracted when there's yeah. like a thousand enemies on screen. But exactly. I, I just, there's probably a better shade of green to be looking at. <laughs> is what I'm saying. I've also noted, I've seen some screenshots on, on the Steam page at least of like more interesting environments. And I'm wondering if that's oh. just like a thing we'll eventually unlock as we get further in or maybe a yeah. Right, maybe the further out you explore, like you'll actually start to find some stuff. I'm not really sure. The most exploration I do, generally speaking, are, are these like big torches that are all over the map. And if you hit them with an attack, they'll either drop money, like the like the gold currency that you can use to upgrade all your stuff in between runs, or it'll, they'll drop health, like literally the um the turkey or chicken from Castlevania will drop out of them. And that's the most exploration yeah. I do. Is like I have not a lot of health, and I gotta go find some torches and see if I can get some health out of them. But yeah, I. Pff, this game's really good, man. I mean, I, I'm it's like a lot of fun. I'm fully in. Um, I'm very excited to watch it progress. It's it's gotten picked up by like a lot of big streamers and a lot of YouTube people. So like I think this developer is probably making a lot of money. Uh, and and I hope that they are able to make the game that they want to make uh, by too. the time it hits 1.0 because it, it already feels extremely promising. I, I'm excited about it. This is also the kind of game that I love covering because like as much as we can, you know, before we were like trying to predict when Nintendo has played planned what sony has planned like there's no predicting games like this and it's all, yeah. always the most exciting to be like oh shit like out of fucking nowhere there's this like castlevania art pack game that has one of the best roguelite loop in a genre that is very populated yeah you know, it's totally. a very tall order to stand out in a crowd like that so it's, yeah. it's a fantastic game yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna play it a lot i'm gonna play a lot i don't know if i'll stream it but i'm considering it now that i've said that out loud it feels like it feels like a fun thing to stream one two three dollars three corners triangles three bones three bones yeah <laughs> sorry keep bringing it back to triangles it's a it's a failed bit i i admit it i don't i don't think it's a failed bit i've got no utility i've got no morality <laughs> pray be kind to yourself steven pray be kind <laughs> <laughs> uh be a vampire or survivors is great i would love to see more characters too because there's only four currently so i think there's more than that but yeah it's good and you can get it fun. on steam and uh it's available on windows and mac and i imagine this will be great for the steam deck at a certain point yeah. uh for those of you who got that and i would like to see it on the nintendo switch and as i said that it won't happen but <laughs> i would like i'm it. curious how it will play with either a controller or touch controls like i wonder if this would be fun on mobile as well I feel like, yeah, I feel, I could see this working really well on mobile. The the big yeah. problem, I think, would just be the size constraint. Yeah, how many enemies there are. Of yeah. a screen, yeah. But I, I have a feeling that, like, on something like the Switch, for example, or on, like, a console on a TV, just the fact that you only need to really worry about the D-pad is fucking great. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Vampire Survivors. It's a video game. I guess that's it. Should we wrap up? That's it, man. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. As you know, IntoTheCast.online is our hub for everything. Places to listen to the show, links to our YouTube and Twitch. Um, like we said earlier, Brendan has his full playthrough of Portal on there. Portal 2 should 
be started by the time this episode comes out, I imagine. Oh, nice. As well. That's exciting. And that's also where all our streams go after the fact. So if you if you ever miss them, because I know we have a lot of different time zones in our audience, which is very cool to say. But uh, if you ever miss a stream, they're usually backed up on YouTube as well. What's on the horizon? We've got the Portal episode coming out. The uh, patron bonus that I've been kind of secretly hyping up should be like at the end of the month, maybe beginning of March, but that will be coming out in the coming weeks. I think we're recording that next week. So I'm excited to share that. And that's, I think, it for now, right? That's all we, that's, that's everything. That's it. That's everything. (laughs) Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been our biggest year yet. And it's really wonderful to to see the show grow. We love doing it. We would do it regardless, but it's really, it means a lot to be a positive part of your day in some way. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Ditto to all of that. It's fun. It's fun to do. Wow. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I feel like there's more to say, but there's not. Okay, well, in that case, uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. Uh, Pray find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. My name is Stephen Hilger. Mayhap find me on Twitter at Stephen Hilger. And uh, pray, have a wonderful day. Do you feel like there should be an S at the end of Mayhap? I feel like Mayhaps feels fun, but that's not... Mayhaps is good, but Mayhap, like, is confusing, and I like it for that, you know? Yeah, I get that. Yeah. It's a, mayhap lights up the same part of my brain as foodstuffs, which is <laughs> ironic because like, because of the S. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mayhaps the foodstuffs will be to your liking. Pray, eat. Pray. 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 All right. <laughs> All right. We got to go. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> I just want to keep going. All right. Goodbye. See ya. One, two, three triangles. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.